0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Advanced FRAR Concepts, A Deeper Look into FRAR Protection, sponsored by Bulwark. My name is Kevin Droole. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I'll be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. View this webcast and all of our past webcasts go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Derek Sang. Derek is a technical training manager at Bulwark and a subject matter expert in the flame-retardant clothing industry. On average, he has conducted 20 FRAR live training sessions each year while assisting people in seven countries. Additionally, Derek has developed and conducted more than 250 seminars on the hazards of arc flash and flash fire. Derek, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: Kevin, thank you very much for the kind introduction and good morning and or good afternoon depending on where you're listening to us today live or which will be archived. So as Kevin said, we're going to dive into advanced FR flame resistant AR arc rated concepts, a deeper look into FR and AR protection. But first and foremost, let's take care of that legal stuff. This presentation is for informational purposes only. Customers of Bulwark Protection are solely responsible for conducting their own hazard risk assessment to identify safety hazards in their work environment. Customers of Bulwark Protection are solely responsible for selecting appropriate garments, protective gear for their employees, and ensuring wearers use the garments of protective gear properly and in conjunction with the appropriate gloves and footwear. Because working conditions and other factors may vary, Bulwark Protection does not make any representation that these garments and protective gear will protect wearers from injury. On to the good stuff. So what's the premise today? I mean, when we look at webinars in and around flame-resistant arc-rated clothing, we usually get the standard, here's what the hazard is, and there's a long talk about how nasty these short-duration thermal events are, and here's kind of how Uh, FR clothing worst self extinguishes protecting against you against burn injury and ultimately saving your life and that's all great and that's all good but we also get a ton of other questions when we're sitting in our trade show booths or when we're out in the field actually talking to our wearers our end users who put our product into harm's way every single day we get a variety of different stuff so Today, I want to just take a look at, in the time that we have, just to talk about some of those. And we've decided to call them advanced FRAR concepts and taking a a deeper dive into it. So, that's what we will do. We'll talk a little bit about the FR science, some of the terminology that's kind of wrapped itself around it, how accurate is that terminology, what should you really be looking at, some Tips on how to differentiate between marketing sales and performance we'll talk about uh, what goes into uh, these garments as far as how do you get an arc rating what does it mean to have an arc rated garment what's an ATPV? what's an E BT is one better than the other we'll talk about what does it mean to be uh, certified by an independent source to be compliant to the NFPA 2112 standard and what you should look for if you have a flash fire hazard. And then just briefly, in the time left, we'll talk a little bit about where the FR technology is heading. Uh, As Kevin said in the intro, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I sold my first FR account, worked on an FR back in 1995, and I tell folks back then you could get any style, any color of navy blue Nomex coverall you wanted. The industry was relatively new from an industrial standpoint. Your fabric offerings were relatively limited, and we've come a long, long way in that time. So we'll talk about where we were, where we're at today and hopefully, where you guys, our marketplace, is driving us to be. So, my apologies right off. We use acronyms all over the place, and in many cases, we forget that not everybody speaks our language. So, a few definitions. You may hear the term fire retardant. Fire retardant means the actual chemistry, if the chemistry is necessary, to be added to a fabric and ultimately a garment to make it flame resistant. Flame resistant garment is the end results of what we're talking about today. So flame resistance refers to the property of an article or material fabric, plastic, f- uh, film etc where we've reduced its propensity to burn. Notice we said reduced. We haven't eliminated. Fireproof does not exist in shirts, pants, and coveralls. Uh, So flame-resistant, by definition, it self-extinguishes. It will not support uh, combustion. It will not uh, melt, drip, and add to the injury in a short-duration thermal event. Arc-rated, we've taken flame-resistant fabrics, and we have uh, subjected them to additional testing to where now we can tell you it's been tested to an arc flash hazard and what your expectation can be uh, if you're wearing that fabric in, in that hazard. We have used or kind of taken the two terms when we talk to them because people use them intermitting. So I say F-R-A-R. Other people say A-R-F-R. Flame-resistant, arc-rated. Everything has to be first and foremost flame-resistant, or we can even additionally test it to become arc-rated. All arc-rated garments, hence arc-rated fabrics, are by default flame-resistant. So that's kind of how we use it and how I use it Uh, when we're talking about F-R-A-R fabrics that ultimately become F-R-A-R garments. So flame-resistant fabrics. Flame-resistant fabrics have been generally divided into two groups in the past, and that's been carried over all the way where we are today. And you may have heard these terms, and you may be comfortable or think you're comfortable understanding what they mean. Treated and inherent. Understand that at their core, at their inception, these are marketing terms. These are terms that were created to differentiate between one product category and another product category. If you look into them in and of themselves, inherently, it's a characteristic of the fiber, but inherent implies that it started out that way. Nothing on this planet started out as flame resistant. I apply enough heat to anything and everything and I can get it to burn. Uh, It may take a lot of heat in some cases, a.k.a. rocks, lava, etc., but there's nothing inherently uh, with how it was initiated without men, humans, humans making this have flame-resistant properties. We have to either affect it at the molecular level, the fiber level, or the fabric level, because The only one that we could use that meets that term is asbestos, and we wouldn't get very far making asbestos shirts, pants, and coveralls. Treated alludes to an external application, a surface application that may be subjected to laundering, washing off, wearing out. Both of those, I will tell you, at the most elementary level are at least dated, obsolete. but they are fixtures today in our environment because they are attempting to describe the nature of a product category, but the real implication is one is trying to say that it has superior qualities versus the other. So what are those implied superior qualities? It doesn't wash out. Number of launderings doesn't matter. FR properties remain for the life of the garment. Treated. Depends on the chemicals. Eventually washes out surface treatment, repeated launderings will affect the property, a.k.a. be wary. That hasn't been the case since late 1980s, early 1990s with proven FR fabrics utilized here and manufactured here domestically in North America. What is the actual meaning of the terms today, even if they were to apply? Inherent, the FR chemistry is built into the polymer, the fabric, uh, the fiber. No additional treatment is is necessary. True. No added FR chemistry is necessary. True. FR properties remain for the life of the garment. True. Treated, FR chemistry is applied to the fabric. That's accurate. FR chemistry is impregnated into the core of of the fiber market-proven uh, fabrics today? Absolutely. The FR properties have established brands of fabric remain for the life of that garment. True. How do we know that? Multiple, multiple sales cycles of quote treated uh, fabrics have been utilized for over a quarter of a century. It even gets a little bit murkier when you look at what we're really utilizing today. And that's taking all the pros of all the fibers that we can possibly get to get what? Lightweight, comfortable, and protective. Now, that's the way that we like to talk about it when in actuality, when you're taking a fabric into a hazard like arc flash or flash fire, it is protective first and foremost. Then we can look at lightweight. Then we can look at comfort. So when we look at the pros of these fibers and we blend them together, if those fibers are indeed inherent, that's great. But then we weave them with a natural fiber for what? Comfort, flexibility, like say lyosil that that is aka not treated, aka has no flame resistant properties. And that's just two of the fibers. We add a third fiber. Maybe we add some I don't know, Kevlar for strength, some carbon for additional properties we may look in there. The bottom line is that definition now, not only is, was it obsolete uh, today to utilize it, now it's even getting murkier because what do you ultimately call that fabric that is utilizing this combination of fibers? So we do know that we can manipulate or impart FR engineering really at three different levels. One, we take, uh, we do it at the molecular level. Uh, Meta-aramids, para-aramids, basically we have changed the molecular formula of nylon, which everybody knows if I apply heat, it's going to melt, drip, and add to the injury. I change that molecular formula, and now I have, what, Nomex and Kermel. I go to the fiber level, and when that fiber is still a soup, I take fire retardant chemistry, and I dump it into the soup, and now I start extruding a modified acrylic fiber, and it has FR properties. Was it inherent, or did humans engineer those FR properties into it? And then lastly, everybody who commonly thinks of that treated, we take something, aka fuel, uh, a cellulosic-like cotton, and we, in part fire retardant chemistry into that cotton to where it does not burn. So these are the areas in which we can manipulate and impart flame-resistant properties, and then we can take all these fibers and utilize them to give you the most protective, more comfortable, and most lightweight ones so that you can have compliance in the workplace. So where are we really today? We work with manufacturers who have over the last quarter of century mastered a lot of this functionality and we are using these in different combinations we have inherent and treated fibers side-by-side we have inherent and non-FR fibers side-by-side the most important thing is are they engineered do they have those flame resistant properties engineered into that fabric so ultimately the day you need it to do what we have engineered it to do and that's put itself out it will do the job there is no perfect fiber there hence there is no perfect fabric that's why you've still got to look at your hazard risk assessment you've got to evaluate all the strengths and the weaknesses of the fabrics what they can do what they can't do and will they provide you the best result if ultimately there's an arc flash or a flash fire we're always as a manufacturer across the spectrum always looking for the next winning fabric always looking to evaluate viable FR fabrics and fiber options and always looking for fabrics to enhancement and complement uh, their lines what are we uh, adding to how are we complementing it and what additional mechanisms can we do to protect the wearer at the end of the day? So, when we talk about FR properties or FR engineering or flame resistant properties, however we want to shape that, what are we really talking about? We're talking about interrupting the fire tetrahedron. You may have also had it referred to as the fire triangle. The tetrahedron part is if you look at that three-sided pyramid, the bottom triangle is the chain reaction mechanism between oxygen, heat, and fuel. We need to have all three and then they have to be in the right combination to get that chain reactions to where they start off gassing and we have a fire. Now, in our hazard env- environment when we do our hazard assessment, the one thing that's happening, if there's an arc flash or a flash fire, there is heat. The chance to eliminate, substitute, engineer the heat out, do our admin process. No, we have heat because now we have an arc flash or a flash fire. So of the four components there, one of them is in existence. So what are my options? My options are I can either remove the oxygen, I can remove the fuel, and then interrupt the chain reaction. I do any of those two, I don't have a fire because the ignition source is happening. My FR engineering has to do one of those two things eliminate the oxygen, eliminate the fuel. So when we talk about those, there's really three ways that we do that here commercially in North America. Thermally stable fibers, we'll talk about those. Radical scavengers, that's kind of a cool name, be a great name for a, a rock band. And then bringing up the, the charformers. So we'll talk about what those are, are doing. So thermally stable fibers, you know. You know them by their uh, commercial names. You've got Nomex. You've got Kermel. You've got Kevlar and others and the generic forms of those uh, aramids and that aramid family. They do not have any fire retardant chemistry added to them. That molecular formula has been tweaked, has been engineered to where it will not sustain combustion. So what have we removed? We've technically removed the fuel from that equation. Here we are again, meta aramids, the Nomexes, Connex, Kermels of the world, and then uh, in, in the paramels with the Kevlars, the Taurons, etc. What are the advantages? Highly durable. They can last for many years. They've got great durability. They don't rely on any additional uh, chemistry to them. In and of themselves, those fibers will continually do that job that it's engineered to do at the molecular level. Some of the drawbacks, easily the most expensive option, even today with the economies of scales that we have. Relatively, and this is relatively, when you look at it on the scale of a synthetic all the way down to a natural synthet, uh, cellulosic, they can be a little bit stiffer. They can be difficult to dye. They don't hold a lot of different color options in there because of the way they are into our radical scavengers. Radical scavengers are fire retardant chemicals that release radicals in the air to what? Grab and lock up with the oxygen. If I can get to the, I get to the oxygen first. I lock it up. I take it out of the the equation. So here we had our uh, taking away the fuel. Now we're taking away uh, the oxygen. Uh, Where they exist, most commonly the bromine and the chlorine-based, bromines are the nasty ones, that's where all the bad press is, Uh, we work in the uh, chlorine-based side, the most common fiber utilizing, uh, that is is motocrylic, you have non-FR motocrylics, now you have FR motocrylics, remember going back to that soup, we're taking that fire retardant chemistry, we're imparting it in there, and now that's a product of the finished fiber. So we work down here in the polymeric radical scavenger area. That is where your motor protective apparel is. Up here in the nasty textiles, foams, plastics, and other molded materials are bound with that bromine-based one. That's where that off-gassing and stuff, and especially when you talk to our firefighting community, when they're walking across fire sites and they're knocking them down after the fire's gone and they're getting all that off-gassing, that is a lot of where their concerns and stuff come in. Advantages, very good flame-resistancy, they're generally easy to dye and process and work with. EFR, obviously, from being a fundamentally part of the fiber, no additional uh, finishing is necessary. Drawbacks, acrylic, unfortunately, very weak fiber in and of themselves. Other support fibers are needed to make uh, really functional, good commercially viable garments, so you have that... uh, mixture of protection, comfort, and then ultimately, you're paying a lot of money for these, so you want them to last. So we need to blend and uh, take other supporting fabrics that are gonna give some strength to those uh, motocloid fibers in and of themselves. Last, and definitely not least, we have our charformers. Uh, these are phosphorus-based char-forming additives, and they work really in a couple of different ways. They, at the end of the day, in a thermal environment, they char. They, by charring, they remove the fuel. They are carbonizing. That layer of fuel is gone. They interrupt that fire triangle, that fire tetrahedron. We showed you by eliminating the fuel. So we have fuel eliminators in our Nomexes and our carmel's We have oxygen scavengers taking away oxygen in our FR motor acrylics And here we have cellulosics that have FR treatment that also allow it to remove fuel from that fire they work in a couple of different ways i'm sharing this only because people think this is a relatively easy process they think there's some bath out there where these fabrics just go in for a little dip they come out the other end and and we're applauding and saying you now have fr properties mastering this process is not simple it is complex it has to be done right the good thing as I said here domestically here in the US for over 25 years we have been doing that we have good strong processes that create commercially successful products for a quarter century there's really two ways that it's done here today in the US we have an ammonia process where we use ammonia gas to help bond Uh, with that uh, cellulosic fiber or we use a thermal process to help that curing occur. So we're curing with the ammonia gas or we're curing with uh, a thermal oven. We then make sure that it goes through an oxidization process so that reaction is what? Irreversible. The polymer does not unzip. It bonds and binds with that cellulosic it's not leaching out anywhere it actually becomes part of that fiber matrix and then we finish it in a multitude uh, of different ways the bottom line the key takeaway in this when we look at our charformers is it is a legacy fabric by legacy we've been utilizing this technology successfully in thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, folks in hundreds of incidents since the late 80s early 90s and here we are in 2020 so the technology is sound and it's been proven as have the others so the advantages cost-effective it's comfort properties you're capturing all those strengths of your uh, cellulosic or in this case primarily cotton that we're talking about Dyeing and finishing relatively easy to do drawbacks lower service life why cotton wears out faster than synthetics that's a no-brainer you must be uh, making sure that those everything is done correctly and you're good to go so now we talk about these FR AR properties flame resistant to arc rating what is an arc rating what do we mean when we talk about NFPA 2112 compliant Well, if you're not familiar, we're talking about our two core hazards that we use secondary protective PPE in to protect folks in. Arc rating, that's how we protect our electrical workers. Those are exposed to arc flash hazards, whether it's in general industry or in our utility fields. And then 2112, that's our short duration thermal events, typically characterized by flash fires. And we have... Ways to do that. So, what is an ARC rating? NFPA 70E introduced a term in 2012. Uh, originally, they had used the term FR, flame resistant. The committee wanted to differentiate, did not want uh, the electrical community mistakenly gar- uh, choosing garments that had not been tested to the ARC flash hazards. You would not know how that garment performed, even though it may state that it has flame resistant properties. So they wanted them to make sure they had achieved an arc rating. What is an arc rating? An arc rating can be communicated in two different ways, ATPV or EBT. ATPV is the arc thermal performance value, and EBT is the energy of break open threshold. Both of them are arc ratings. All fabrics achieve both. We communicate the lowest to our wares. So when you look in your tag and it says an ATPV of eight point whatever, that means that a second-degree burn was recorded on a calorimeter before that fabric started to break open. If it says 8.2 EBT, that garment started to show a tear or hole before 1.2 calories per centimeter squared were shown on the coupler But the hole or tear would determine that if that happened over the coupler, we're going to have a burn. Both of them, by definition, are arc ratings, and both of them are going to protect equally. The key is, on that label, if you have an ATPV or an E-sub-BT, that fabric has been tested to exposure in an electric arc without that you have no idea how that garment is going to perform thankfully for the large part domestically in North America this is not an issue with everyday shirt pants and coveralls asterisks where do we see this as an issue i-vis vests and rain gear vests that are declared to be FR or worse yet SE which is self extinguishingly which is meaningless if you have an arc flash or a flash fire hazard. And then secondly, rain gear that says it's FR. That may be ASTM 6413. It may be ASTM 2302. And those are the only standards in which it claims it's FR properties. You have no idea how it's going to act in that arc flash uh event. So be very cautious in those areas. But for the most part, we are going to see an ABT ATV or we're going to see an E sub B T in our shirts, pants, and coveralls today. So how is that done? Uh, the test method is ASTM F 1959. We are going to uh utilize three panels. We're going to have corresponding fabrics on one on each panel, we then control the distance, Uh, we control uh, the voltage, the gap, etc., and then we manipulate the cycle time in order to achieve higher and lower uh, incident energies. Those incident energies are either going to not break open the fabric or break open the fabric at a particular calorie rating. If I get a 1.2 calories going through to my calorimeter, I've got a second-degree burn and the fabric hasn't broken open, that's going to register as a burn. If the fabric breaks open, I'm going to register that as a burn. Just remember this. These are done in laboratories. These are a piece of piano wire sitting between two electrodes and we manipulate it and we contain that arc inside a Faraday cage and we're talking about strips of fabric and that's what we are recording these are not real-world arc flashes there are lots of nasty things happening when I superheat air from ambient air temperature of 70 degrees to 35,000 degrees in a blink of an eye I get blinding white light I get acoustic energy I get concussive force, all the shirt, pant, and coverall you're wearing in that dynamic environment is doing is putting itself out once that electrical equipment shuts down. That's all it's doing. I can't protect you against the blinding white light. I can't protect you against all the noise. I can't protect you against all the copper and aluminum being vaporized, resolidifying in open air at 1900 degrees, 67,000 times its original size, traveling 750 miles an hour. Hard hat, face shield, rubbers, leathers, safety glasses, hearing protection, rubber all those are absolutely necessary to mitigate the potential injury that's awaiting you in this dynamic event. So just don't focus so much on the test methodology because there's a lot of things going on that you need to protect yourself against. Here we have it uh, characterized in um, illustrative form. You can see there we have the arc gap. You can see all the copper particles coming out. You've got your shock wave, 2200 square pounds per, uh, of force, uh, radiation, your IR, your UV. And then, depending on the makeup, does your garments have flame-resistant properties, are they engineered to self-extinguish or not, directly correlates to how badly hurt you can be. So going back to your ARC rating, remember, ATPV, I haven't broken open, I'm registering a burn. EBT, I'm breaking open, so we call the burn. Out of the 21 tests that we do, so there's three panels on that Faraday cage, we run it seven times, half the number don't Register a burn and half a number do. Half the number break open and half the number don't. A 50% probability is that math that we run in there to where that's how you get your ATV or your E-sub-BT. 50% probability that you won't burn, 50% probability that you may get a second-degree burn, and vice versa. Every single fabric will have a break open and will have an ATPV. We are required as manufacturers, as fabric folks who ultimately give fabric to manufacturers, make we report the lowest of the two, the one that will happen first, and that is your ARC rating. For flash fire and NFPA 2112 compliant garments, so again, definition, uh, the definitions have evolved over the years. Uh, where we are today is a short duration thermal exposure from fire, a period of regress from our accidental exposure to thermal events, including but not limited to a vapor cloud fire. That's your traditional flash fire definition that you see at the top. Jet. Fed fuel fires, liquid fires, pooling fires, running liquid fires, solids fires, fires of solid materials or dust fires, or warehouse fires. The key statement, and that is what's highlighted in red if your hazard in your facility does not make egress easy, something that can be done safely and quickly, then single layer shirts, pants, and coveralls designed to Protect in this definition are not for your hazard. Typically, what we're looking at are flash fire hazard. That's a type a type of short duration fire that we just defined below that spreads by means of a flame front rapidly through a diffuse fuel such as dust. Yes, dust, combustible dust is a flash fire gas or vapors of ignitable liquid without production of damaging pressure. I differentiate that because I always get the question, well our hazard is six to eight seconds don't wear single single layer shirt pants and coveralls. We can't egress, we're in a well hole, I can't egress for six to eight seconds, don't wear single layer shirt pants and coveralls. This is designed so that you can egress through the dynamics of that short duration thermal Exposure safely. If it's a, if it's fire under pressure, you physically can see that jet-fed fuel fire and egress away from it. If it's a pool, you can get out of the pool. If it's in a warehouse, you say fire, you can egress because you're not in it. If that is your hazard, then yes, single-layer shirt, pants, and coveralls will benefit by mitigating the burn injury because why? They will self-extinguish once you egress to safety. Away from that thermal energy. So, when we say a garment is uh, NFPA 2112 compliant, what are the requirements of that? Well, just briefly, it's a means of certifying fabrics, findings, and facilities. Fabrics, everybody can call that findings, that's the one where people go, that's our fancy word for everything that goes into making that garment. I have to make it a certain way so that once you aggress you can get that garment off, i.e., My Velcro is not going to lock up. It's going to be FR. My tape that I put on there uh, to put my zipper in is not going to melt into those teeth so you can't open it. Heck, I'm not using a plastic zipper so it'll melt so I can't get out of it. If I have high vis or enhanced visibility, yellow, silver, yellow tape, those have FR properties so that they are not, I'm not making a really good stock shirt, pant, or coverall and then messing it up by how I put it together. So, just having the fabric, which is not uh, in and of itself, it's component recognized. It is not enough just to have the fabric. You have to have it constructed properly, so it has to be findings, and then where they're made is also important. Once I get the garment? Am I shipping that out to uh, cut and sew places? Or am I contracting it out? You can't do that because you're going to be audited by your independent third party. And in our case, and in most cases, it's UL. They're going to audit those facilities where you're constructing them, not just day one, but on an ongoing pace basis, so you can retain that certification to be compliant to NFPA 2112. So one of the tests that people look to first and foremost is the fabric test notice I said fabric test not a garment test these are the test results that you typically see from ASTM 1930 test mannequin when we are constructing garments when we are evaluating fabric the demarcation line is less than 50 percent body burn but remember these are for us to start evaluating fabric. The first thing to notice is the heads on these mannequins are completely consumed. Why? They're not protected. That 7% of that burn number down there is never protected, and that is communicated in this uh, test results. The other thing is is there are no pockets. There's no additional uh, chest pockets, rear pockets, side pockets cargo pockets, double-layered knees, double-layered envelopes, gussets, collars, anything, placards, all that where there would be additional protection in a commercially viable garment are not utilized or taking into consideration here because we are just using a single-layer fabric to determine these results. So, what's my point? Basing your Uh, specification or your decisions on which one is better, make sure that you're not just using ASTM 1930 testing. It can be part of that, but it should not be the end all to say that 34% versus 14%, 34 is worse than 14%. By the standard, they're both equal. Why? It's a pass-fail standard. They're both less than 50%. Both those fabrics would be considered passing, and we haven't even started constructing shirts, pants, and coveralls yet. In fact, in the standard alone, it tells you not to utilize ASTM 1930 uh, test protocol for specification purposes. Uh, It's a jet-fed fuel fire, first and foremost. It's not a flash fire. Secondly, it does not take garment design into consideration with the test results. Garment designs that provide different areas of body con- coverage are going to give you different results. So just remember, fires are fuel-fed. They are relatively static for the most part, a.k.a. I have a structural fire it's contained within the structure. Uh, it's normally either by planned, I mean there it is, uh, or I know about it. It's happening. The multi-layer protection is needed. Most importantly, we need to protect highly sensitive areas. What are those? Feet, hands, face, and we also have to breathe. So extensive uh, PPE is needed when fighting fires, flash fires, or short-duration thermal attack. Uh, events as described in NFPA 2112 which these single layer shirt pants and coveralls are designed to mitigate injury from are relatively fuel limited. Why? It's diffuse fuel in open air being rapidly consumed. By that, it's a rapid moving flame front. It's moving from point A back to the source very, very quickly. Uh, It is secondary protective. Why? Because we are wearing these flame, these garments with flame resistant properties for the chance that there may be a thermal event we're not wearing them because we're going into thermal events and typically respiratory protection is not going to be needed because again these are going to be very very short so I want to share this with you uh, schematically so to speak so flash fire dynamics especially when we're talking about vapor clouds obviously we have a pipe which you see here as green or brown depending on your your screen we have a break in that that's the little blue jagged edge there and we have diffuse fuel starting to leak out of it we have our thermal source here characterized off to the left as that vapor cloud expands okay it is going to eventually find our fuel source our ignition source that ignites that flame front driving it where back towards the origin it will circle around and fully consume itself until what as long as there is fuel within that broken pipe and it still we will have a fire we go from the horizontal the flash fire to the vertical where we now have a fire that is what we are protecting you uh, against so when we look at that test dynamic of three seconds 360 degrees and 60 seconds of data collection to evaluate those single layer fabrics, when we look at the event in real time, in the real world, here we have diffuse fuel, in this case propane, going to the left, and in that circle you have your ignition source just at the end of the picture. As it ignites, it's already moving, consuming that dynamically within, if you look at that, from 0 to 0.22 seconds, I've moved from as far left as that ignition source as you can see, as I'm starting to dynamically move across the view front. Then we're completely out of the picture because we're way back off the screen where the source is, and that whole event took 2.06 seconds. What's my point? Remember, it's a laboratory. We are testing fabric in a laboratory for a full three-second exposure, exposing that mannequin at 360 degrees, trying to get a feel for how much second and third degree burn can accumulate under those very, very uh, severe conditions. So both ASTM 1959 for arc flash laboratory, ASTM 1930 for flash fire not laboratory. They are, they are not real world. They are a way for us to evaluate the performance of fabrics that we ultimately cut and sew into garments that will be built to protect you in the real event. Remember, certifications and test results are on that fabric on that day under those conditions, and I hold that certificate really for as long as I want to keep cutting and sewing that fabric. So the real thing is is look for market proven performance look for fabrics look for manufacturers and combination of fabrics manufacturers and end users who have used them through multiple sales cycles to look for what is proven and will do the job in the worst case scenario so really know your supply chain it's important to invest the time and effort uh, I struggle with folks who are making purchases sight unseen. I struggle with folks who look at packaging and it says FR on it, and they take it at, uh, as fact without doing any additional research into where are the certifications, who's certifying it, what documentation can you get, can I verify the test results. If anything breaks down on that piece of PPE, that life-saving piece of equipment, don't implement it. Any reputable manufacturer today can easily provide that chain of custody, that hierarchy of controls sort of speak, as far as how did they get that from fiber fabric all the way to shirt pant or coverall and it should be easily communicated with your supply chain. So before we take time for questions here, Where are we going? Where are we getting with these smarter, flame-resistant, ARC-rated garments? What is the future? And really, the future is coming from our wearers. It's coming from you that that are watching this webinar. You're driving our supply chain. You're driving the fabric folks, the fiber folks, the garment folks to do better, make them lighter, more comfortable, more protective. And do all these things. Why? Because if I can get it lighter, more comfortable, and it can still do its job, I'm going to have better compliance, better end user buy in, all those buzzwords uh, that we deal with. So, what is happening out there? Well, comfort is dramatically improving. I mean, I don't even have to go back to when I started 25 years ago and talk about improvements in comfort, it's literally within the last three to five years, you can look at the combination of hydrophobic, hydrophilic fibers, you look at the technology and the advancements that we've seen in athletic performance gear, and you're seeing that mirrored for occupational athletes, if you want to uh, categorize them as such, I mean, you're out there 8 to 12 hours a day, and all across all weather conditions, and you want to be insulated when it's cold, you want to be cool when it's hot. We are in extreme conditions. My home state of Arizona, heck, we're coming out of winter and we'll be in 105 and 110 here any day. And I still have my folks who are in Williston, North Dakota, where we're just barely getting back over zero. And we have to deploy flame, shirts that are engineered with flame resistant properties across. All those climates. So the chemistry is getting better. What does I mean by that? We are able today to capture synthetic fibers that we have not had access to in the past because of the improvement of the FR chemistry which ultimately leads to better FR engineering. We are able to take uh, garments to where unless they are involved in a short duration thermal event like an arc flash or a flash fire they stay lightweight when that thermal energy, they instantaneously, in that nanosecond, they react and they start to beef up and get large. So you have a five-ounce shirt that acts in a thermal event like it's seven and a half, eight ounces. That technology wasn't available five years ago. Durability, these are not inexpensive. We want to also make sure that it's a wise investment, that you're going to get 18 to 24 months out of a shirt panted coverall when you are investing the kind of money that you're investing in order to be compliant so we're coming up and because we can utilize new synthetics we can apply things that have been very very successful in our non-fr commercial side workwear side uh, things like ripstop uh, other advantages to where you can get better rip and tear resistance uh, mobility, that is huge. You look at all the ergonomical studies that have been done in order to make people more functional. Why? If you're not fighting your clothes, you're not getting tired at the end of the day. If you're not tired at the end of the day, you've taken one of the human performance characteristics and minimized it that ultimately caused accidents. Why? We're tired. We're, we can't focus. We're nothing. So if you don't have to fight that shirt, pants, or coverall for an eight-hour shift, maybe you're not as fatigued at the end of the day because you have a much more ergonomically enhanced garment ultimately the goal is to build performance garments that just happen to have flame resistant properties because why I don't want you using my shirts pants and coveralls for what I built it for because what I built it for is for to protect you and mitigate injury in an arc flash or a flash fire so don't use my stuff for what I built it for that being said all the other time you're using it, let's make it as lightweight and as comfortable uh, as we can. And that's ultimately what the marketplace is driving for. So in summary, fire is a complex uh, chemical chain reaction. Retarding fire can be accomplished by either interrupting any leg of that fire tetrahedon. And primarily, we focus on getting rid of the oxygen or getting rid of the fuel. In flame-resistant fabrics, three common techniques are employed. Thermally stable fibers that we talked about, those are your synthetics, quote unquote, characterized as inherents in the past. That's your aramids, your kermels, your twarons, your kevlars. Then you get into your gas phase radicals, pretty much dominated with your uh, FR motor acrylics, and then solid phase char formers. Those most commonly known are are your cellulosics, aka your cottons, your, your uh, 8812. cottons and all the different combinations that have evolved since. Each of the flame-resistant fabric strategies has advantages and drawbacks. We as developers are trying to maximize their strengths, minimize uh, those weaknesses. Whether the FR technology is a property of the fiber structure engineered into the fiber or engineered into the fabric, flame-resistant fabrics can be produced where it's durable for the life of that garment and they can be guaranteed to do just that certifications and test results are fabric on that day under the most controlled conditions we don't work in controlled conditions so look for uh, and trust your supply chain partners look for proven uh, market proven performance and legacy and if something is new and something is innovative look to the new and in and who's doing it, what's their legacy, what's their pedigree, and can they easily communicate all the uh, proper test results from anything that's new. So with that, I'm going to hand it over here to Kevin shortly, but I want to thank you for taking your time to listen to us live. If you're listening to us archived, again, greatly appreciated. With that, uh, any questions we don't get to today, Kevin and his team will definitely get them to us, and I'll do my best to get you your answers. And with that, again, thank you very much.
0: All right, Derek. Excellent. Great job. We thank you, as always, for your insights and expertise. Uh, Before we do start the Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. We really value your input because it helps us improve future webcasts. If you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And with that, we will get to some questions. First one says, I work for a global organization that utilizes FRC and approves various FRC based on the fabric. Is there a global list of agencies that certify FRC?
1: There probably is. I will tell you there's the predominant one that I'm most familiar with, and that's what I answer to here. Is Underwriter Laboratories, that's UL. Uh, So when you see us uh, in in us, and I mean North America, probably predominantly, you're going to see UL logo uh, for uh, independent third party verification, specifically for us in 2112. Uh, We do see other organizations like the CE logo that you'll see uh, utilized in uh, Canada and Europe. Uh, There's EN. So there's there's probably a, a place, and again, I hate to default to it, but our good friend the Google box. If you type that right in there, uh, I'm sure that it would spit up a much more concise and complete answer than I just gave you. But that's what I'm aware of.
0: The next one: What's the impact of the treated fabric chemicals to the environment? How do you responsibly dispose of these garments?
1: Really good question. Uh, Usually, we get that in and around things like our uh, PBDEs, uh, other very uh, topical uh, questions in and around what goes into it. First and foremost, the nasty things like PBDEs and that have never been utilized in North America that I'm aware of, of any. Uh, fabric manufacturers utilizing that for uh, flame resistant technology it does not it has not been used and i 'm not in the past and it's definitely definitely not being uh, used today There is some uh, concerns and talking to when we look at folks to be transparent when you look at things like formaldehyde uh, to give you an idea in the commercially viable stuff that's utilized here again without Knowing everybody but the most common ones the the levels are so low that they're really technically not even on SDS sheets are communicated mostly as a courtesy uh, prop 65 California they're not recognized as high enough to even report uh, so we go to extreme lengths when we look at that category of uh, FR Engineering, when you look at taking something that is fuel and you look at converting it to where it has flame resistant properties, the ability to uh, self extinguish, they do take uh, a lot of those things into account. They're constantly refining and uh, improving uh, that technology. And I can just say, based on the time that I've been involved, a quarter century, we have not seen any significant. Uh, deterrent to that side effect however you want to label that from an environmental standpoint from a user standpoint from a cut and sew standpoint and it's been monitored extensively for a lot of years and there just is uh, not anything that I can see or I've heard of that that's been documented on that as far as a uh, safe
0: source is the garment able to be pressed without affecting the FR properties
1: Yes, as long as that pressing takes uh, effect at under 400 degrees. Uh, 400 degrees is the uh, magic number. Uh, That being said, it's utilized in industrial laundries uh, since its exception in time, since the late 80s, early 90s. It's been predominant in ILS where they're using steam tunnels. uh, They're using press irons. It's been used in the home environment. It's been laundered, ironed. Uh, taking through some of the toughest conditions, and unless, and I don't know why you would, but unless you're pushing that magic point over 400 degrees, which even in this, this most severe environments like an IL, those uh, temperatures are barely getting uh, up to 200 degrees, uh, you have, you're well within your safe zone. You're not going to activate uh, its FR engineering in uh, a normal environment
0: can different brands of clothing be worn together for protection?
1: Absolutely. Uh, The only caveat, the only asterisk that would be thrown into that question is, as an electrical person, if I'm looking to get a combined arc rating for my layers, my outer layer and my base layer, I have to test those as worn. And the only way that competitive fabrics, uh, you would know what those are, is you probably have to go to an independent third party to get that testing done. If it's bulwark over bulwark, we probably know that. In fact, I think we have over 300 different combinations of bulwark fabrics that we can tell you what that combined arc rating is. If it's bulwark over Carhartt, Carhartt over Ariat, Dry Fire underneath uh, NSA, any other one, you're typically not going to know because, as manufacturers, we're not going to test competitive products. Uh, our friends at uh, eHazard and ArcWare, and if you talk to Hugh Hoagland, he has a library of the stuff that he's done over the years. If he has your layered combination in there, he'd probably be more than happy to share that with you. If not, he'd probably be more than happy to take your layered combination next time he's heading up to Connectrix and get you the results. For our flash fire folks, two layers of FR are better than one layer of FR, so if you're wearing a lightweight coverall and you're wearing a lightweight base layer underneath, you're just better protected. You're not going to have a more or less uh, combined effect in the flash fire, because that's not what it's tested to, but two layers are always better in those So Big picture, competitive fabrics worn uh, together in a system, two layers of FR, two layers of AR are always better. If I want to know what my combined arc rating is with my base layer and my outermost layer, you have to test them together. And if they're competitive, you're probably going to have to go out and independently get that verified.
0: We've got time for one more question, and it relates a little bit to some of what you just spoke to. Are all flame-resistant garments arc rated?
1: Great question. Way back, I think about 45 slides ago, we went through our, our definitions briefly. Uh, when I opened up I talked about FR and AR the reason I use AR after FR is because f- what happens first is flame resistant additional testing to determine its arc rating arc rating means it's actually been tested in a simulated arc flash that so you have some semblance of how it's going to perform if it just says FR and there's no ATPV, no E sub BT in that labeling you have no idea how it's going to act in that arc flash and remember it's not just the arc you've got concussive force you've got molten metal you've got all these nasty things happening and if you've never tested that fabric you've never tested that fabric matrix up in inside that hat you have no idea whether it's going to do what you want it to do, and that's self-extinguish once that thermal event is, is gone. Not melt, not drip, and not add to the injury. So, again, uh, all AR fabrics are FR, not all FR fabrics are AR. Hopefully that helps clarify it.
0: Oh, no, it, it certainly does. And we uh, we thank you for, for that answer and, and all the others. Uh, unfortunately, though, we've run out of time. Uh, sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but as Derek indicated, all of today's unanswered questions will be sent along to him. Um, Once again, we hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. Uh, With that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Derek Sang, everyone at Bulwark, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.